Can we uh, give another round of applause for Pastor Ralph who led us into this series so great last week. We are in a series called The Table. The Table. And you probably came in here and saw the ginormous table that was in the lobby and you're like, what is it about the table? Well, when you leave here and you go home today and you look in your, your dining room, there is a table there, I'm assuming. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming. Canadian culture. But at that dining room table, there are also chairs. And if your house is anything like my house, on any given night, there is an MMA fight for the people to sit in their chair. It's my chair. This is where I sit. But you know, it's funny, even as a father looking around the table, I'm looking at it and saying, Man, I hope, I hope one day I get to, as a grandpa, see my son sitting at the father's table and leading his family. And so when we're talking about the table is that this is, what we're doing through this series is we're actually laying out a schematic of how, I go in, how we go through our spiritual growth. Where we come into church and many people get stuck at one stage and they come to church for years not knowing if they're progressing or regressing in their, in their growth. And the purpose of this series is for all of us to be, to, to be able to unshamedly identify, you know, you know what, that's, that's where I think I am right now, and that's where I think I need to get to. Amen? Amen. That's the whole purpose of why we do this, this series. And to be honest with you, this series, I think, is pivotal because it is the discipleship blueprint. It's how we get people who have never been to church or understand church or have nothing to do with God through the process of understanding what God has for them, how they play a part in it, and then how they help others understand where they are with God. It's cyclical. And um, yeah, I just love Pastor Ralph and how he introduced it last week. I don't have the whole table and chairs up here because I don't fit at many tables, to be honest. <laughs> And it would look really awkward. It'd be like a grasshopper sitting on a Polly Pocket chair if I was doing this right now. So, so you just get me. And just to do a quick recap of what we learned last week is that when we're looking at the table, the bottom table, the outside, we have our unchurched. The people who have never been to church, but they're trying it out. They're like, mate, what is this God thing about? And then as you move clockwise around it, then we have our little children. So you're coming in, you don't really know a lot, you're making a lot of mistakes trying to figure this whole Christianity thing out, but there's grace for that. And then you continue to go clockwise, and at the top of the circle, we have our young men. Young men, they've got their own routines. Like my wife and I, we actually host international students at our home, and we've hosted students from age 12 all the way up to age 17. And there's a stark difference between the two, because age 12 will wake up and rubbing their eyes and be like, where's breakfast? <laughs> And then age 17, you know, they may sleep in a little, a little bit later, but they'll get up, they have their own routines, they go to the gym at their time, they eat what they want, and it's, it's, it's they're independent in that sense. And so when we're looking at the table and you keep going around, clockwise, you have the father chair. And fathers, what is a father? Well, the father is one that reproduces. And so in this series, would you guys walk along with us? Because today we're going to be talking about the young men chair. And... I think there's some misconceptions about the table that I really want to clear up before we go any further into this. A couple of facts about the table that you may have looked at this blueprint many of times and been like, I don't, I don't really get it. And then we start coming to our own conclusions about it. Well, maybe I'll never get to the Father's chair. Maybe the Father's chair just isn't, isn't my place. Or, or maybe you'll look at your life and be like, well, I'm forever gonna be in the little chair, the little person's chair because I'm immature and, and whatever. Like, we, we make up stories in our heads. Did you know that like our brains are so spectacular 
that if it's missing a gap, it will create a bridge of thought process to make sure that gap is no longer disconnected. And so that's how we come up with our own stories. When we don't understand something, we're just like, well, this must be the reason why. And then your brain feels better because it's got a solution. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> I'm not a doctor <laughs> by any means. Fact number one, if you're writing things down, like don't leave here today without notes. Don't just hear it and let it dissipate, but like take notes and take and go home and contemplate it on board. But fact number one about the table is this, the different chairs reflect spiritual maturity and not your physical maturity. It may, it may say young man, but it has nothing to do with age. Nope. Meaning I could attend church for 40 years and still be in the little children chair, or I could be in the young men's stage and be, in a, and be a father. I could be 25 years old and be a father. Fact number two, the table is fixed. The chairs are fixed, but your position in the chairs can be fluid in both directions. So the table doesn't move. The chairs don't move. But your intentionality will determine whether you progress around the table or you regress back. So I could be a father in one season and then lose sight of my purpose and then go back into being a little child. Or I could be a young man in one, one season and then fall away from church completely and then have to come back years again and start in the unchurched chair and relearn everything all over again. It's progressive and regressive. Fact number three is we never graduate from the table. The meal's never done, <laughs> if you want to say it that way. It means you don't get to the father chair and then realize, well, <sighs> thank you, church, bowing out. I'm finished. I've reproduced. I'm done. Like, stick a fork in me. Like, <laughs> we don't ever grab, we don't get to leave the table. Why? Because it is the great commission. We are called to go and make disciples, which means until this last breath exits my body, I'm called to make disciples. Yeah. And that's the only way the church goes forward, guys. It's the only way we keep producing. Keep reproducing, keep reproducing, keep investing, keep finding, keep searching, keep looking. Who's, who, who is it that's coming up? And for today's purpose, we're going to be focusing on the young men chair. Uh, I'm going to go to our pivotal scripture that we're using for this entire series. I want you guys read along with me in 1 John chapter 2, verse 14. It says, I write to you, young men. Sorry, I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. And I'm writing to you, fathers. Because you know him who is from the beginning, and I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. For today, with the young men scripture, I want to focus on this. I'm writing to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you. And you have overcome the evil one. The young men's chair is reflective of those that are no longer relying on other people to provide them scripture. The young men, as we talked about, is their independence is that they, they find satisfaction in opening up the scriptures and feeding themselves. They've gotten to a point in their life where they may not know everything. They may not know how to reproduce themselves, but man, they have a hunger for God's word. And they're feeding on it regularly. They're in worship regularly. They're showing up, they're attending, they're helping, they're serving, they're giving, but they haven't yet gotten to the stage where they are reproducing. The young men's chair is positioned for those who can feed themselves regularly and often. And when we talk about spiritual maturity, the chair is for those who aren't waiting until pastor's Sunday message 
once a week to get their fill. It's not that mindset. It's because if you only eat once a week, you're going to starve. And you are going to not only starve, but you are not going to have anything to give anybody else. You're living on your limits is what it is. The young man shares, man, I've got a routine. I go to church. I feed myself. I'm in devotions. I'm, I'm, I'm getting it. But, but there's something lacking still because you're not all the way around the table yet. We're going to focus a lot of our attention today on this story. And when I was preparing for this message, I thought, man, man, where's a place in the Bible where, 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 you, where you have that young man mentality, but then you also have the older generation that has invested and put time in, and I came across 1 Samuel. Because in 1 Samuel, we see the story of Samuel. And if you know anything about Samuel's story is that he was the son of Hannah, and Hannah prayed for a miracle. She found herself on the steps of the church praying and begging God, I, I, I just, if you give me a son, God, I will submit him, I will dedicate him to you. But the stairs of that church was run by Eli, the priest. And so Samuel spends the majority of his younger life apprenticing, learning, living in the temple with Eli. Eli takes him in, and there's a night where Samuel is trying to sleep, and Eli was also asleep. And it says this in 1 Samuel 3, verse 2. It says, One night Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. And the lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, you... Eli, you called me. And Eli's like, I didn't call you. <laughs> Go back to bed. <laughs> Go back to sleep. Again, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am. You, you called me. What do you need? And Eli's like, kid, go back to bed. <laughs> it wasn't me. And Samuel did not know the Lord yet. The word of the Lord had not been revealed to him. And the third time the Lord called Samuel and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. And then Eli realized what was going on. The Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls you again, say, Lord, here I am, I'm listening. Your servant is listening. So Samuel went and laid down in his place and the Lord came and stood there calling as the other time, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. Samuel had grown up in the church, and at this age he was 12 years old, and he's under Eli. And Samuel was not able to discern the difference between the voice that he was hearing from God and the voice that he had been so familiar with, with Eli. And I think this is what happens in our young men's stage is that we, we come into church and we're trying to figure things out and we're gleaning to wisdom and we hear people that we, oh, that sounds about right, man, you got something really good to say and I'm going to come and listen over here. And then we, we kind of find our mentors and we kind of just trudge our way through it trying to be like, who has the wisdom here? <laughs> like, who is, and we sit through Sunday message after Sunday message and we're like, that sounds really good. That's speaking to me. That resonates with me. But at some point, I think in every child's life, there comes a point where the voice that you listen to to get to one stage shifts and then God starts speaking to you. Samuel couldn't discern the difference between God's voice and the voice of his mentor. And as a young man, he was confused. He's like, I hear you calling me, Eli. Eli's like, it's not me calling you anymore. It's God calling you now. 
And when young men are so hungry for the word, they'll get into scriptures and they've got this fire to learn and they're excited and they've got this adventurous curiosity. And so what Samuel needs from Eli, because Eli had this, Eli had the wisdom and discernment. He was older in age. His eyes were growing dim like, like he was getting there. What Samuel needed from Eli was the wisdom and discernment. What Eli needed from Samuel was the adventurous curiosity. The young men and the father need each other. There's a syncopation that happens in here, and the handoff is so crucial because they need each other. And what fears me about the church is that we have people that are sitting in the father's chair not thinking they have anything to offer the younger generation. But there's so much to offer. Pastor Jeremy is going to be speaking about the father chair next week. You're not going to want to miss it. But church, young men, if you're in the young man stage, young men, young woman stage, and you become a church and you're, you're feeding on the word and you're like, I think this is God talking to me. I, th I, I think it is. What happens now? How do, I, how do I progress from there when I'm caught between the voice of my mentor and the, the voice of my future spiritual leader? Samuel, being the young man, can hear the voice, but he can't discern what to do with it. T.D. Jakes, Bishop T.D. Jakes said this. He says, we have a generation of people that can hear God calling them, but they don't have the wisdom or discernment to know what to do with it. There is a whole generation of people, young people, sitting in the young man's chair, filling up in churches where they hear God calling and tugging on the calling of their life, but they have no idea how to get there or what to do with it. This is why the importance of the young men and the father relationship is so significant. It's because Samuel needs Eli, whether he knows it or not, and Eli needs Samuel, whether he wants it or not. Samuel, here I am. This, this conversation sounds eerily familiar to another conversation that you see earlier on in the Bible. Because when you look earlier on, do you remember that relationship or that call that, that God gave to Abraham? When God's like, Abraham, I need you to take your son, the one that you love, and I need you to climb up a mountain and go kill him. Do you remember that conversation? We don't want to remember it. It's, it's kind of weird. <laughs> and part of me fights with that because I'm like, why would God tell him to go and kill his son? <laughs> like, what's with that? But then you read earlier on in Genesis 15 where God calls Abraham out beneath the stars and says, look at these stars. This is going to be the numbers of the generations that you're going to lead, you're going to father. And so when you look at that, God calls Abraham out underneath the stars and then seven, verse, seven chapters later, he says, you know what? I want you to take the son that you love and I want you to go lay him down and kill him. And I thought about that for a minute and I'm like, God, what are you doing here? To be quite honest, when I look at my son, there's things about him that bother me. <laughs> He's such a cute kid, but he bothers me. In the best ways, because when I look at him, I see my younger self. I see all the stubbornness I had. I see all the attitude and the power tripping and the stuff that I thought I knew that I didn't really know. And I just, I just, I just I look at that and I'm like, why am I so fresh away this? And I'm like, oh, because it's me. Because <laughs> it's me. I see his comfortability and where he likes to like just chill out and relax. And I'm like, I'm like, get up and do something. But I think back, I'm like, when I was nine years old, I was chill out. That's what I was doing. That was my diet. Kit Kats and Oreos before you go to church, whatever it is. And... I thought about it more, and I'm like, 
I don't think God intended Abraham to go and kill his son. That would be completely against everything God stands for. But in that, I do believe that God was asking Abraham in order to inherit a promise of fathering nations that Abraham would have to put away with his adolescent self. It's symbolic fathers in here, people that have come into church forever, is that God has given you a promise over your life. You feel it. You know it. I know it. I don't know what it is, but you know it. And God has called you into greater things. And the reason why the table is so significant is because if we ever plan to get to that father chair, where we're not thinking about ourselves when we come to church, we're thinking about who needs me. And we get outside of our comfort zones and we're, we're able to mature past that point where church isn't about us anymore, it's about others. Then that's where the replication starts to happen. And God's saying to Abraham that if you cannot even because it says specifically, go and kill the son that you love, the one that you love. And church, my question to us this morning is, what do you love so much about church that is hindering you from, regress, or from progressing to be able to replicate and disciple others? What is it about coming through those doors and then scanning the auditorium and making sure that your seat is clear? <laughs> I'm... I'm <laughs> You're gonna hate me at the end of this. <laughs> what is it about showing up in the parking lot and be like, I hope another person didn't park in my spot? Do you know what that is? That's little children mentality. What is it about coming to the, in, in the coffee shop and making sure that the baristas who are volunteering of their time get your temperature just right and make sure that that mix of the frappiato, whatever you order is. <laughs> what is it about that that comforts you and saying, oh, I'm doing, me and God, we're good. I'm doing okay. Can I just ruffle some feathers this morning? It's because there is an entire generation of people that are hearing God's voice that have no idea what to do with it. And if we have a church of consumers and not contributors, we will produce a generation of churches full of consumers and not contributors. And the conviction over my life is that I don't, I don't wanna look back after the years of serving in a church I know that the only impact I made was my butt in the seat, but that the impact that I made was the contribution of the community that completely overturned the idea of what a generational church could do. Yeah. That's, that's what I want, that's my conviction. Let me be very clear, if you are here for the first time and you're unchurched, we love that you're here. <laughs> and we will do anything to make sure that you are accepted welcome, that you feel that this is a place that you can belong, but not just belong, that you can grow. And growing means going around the table. Obedience to a God-sized call is the prerequisite to receiving a God-sized promise. So if I know a God, if I know that the call in my life is to influence and to help others, then that obedience to the call of me to go ahead and get out of my adolescence means that I need to I will embrace a God-sized promise. And every single person in here has a God-sized call on their life. Every single person, do not omit yourself out of the equation. You are not an exception. You are included with all of us. How do I get to the young men chair? If you're in the little children's stage. No one else can ever do your spiritual push-ups for you. 
We can't look at people and be like, well, that person preached a good message. I, I, I'm, I'm growing in my spirit. No. The gym is yours. Like, you need to do the work. And it's not the weight of Sunday's preaching to make you make sure your tank is full. Young men recognize the need for personal relationship with the word, but are self-aware enough to know that they aren't yet at a stage to be a father. Young men develop their own routines for physical health, and when it comes to spiritual maturity, those sitting in the young men's chair develop healthy rhythms for their spiritual health, daily devotion to the word, taking time to discern the voice of God in their lives and adhering to that voice. And church, can we just imagine for a second what it would look like? What would it look like if all of us recognized the chair that we were in and we were willing to put the intentionality in to make sure that we are progressing around the chair and not just stuck? What would it look like? I'll tell you what it would look like. Every person would show up to church and every person would have somebody to minister to. You wouldn't show up empty-handed. You wouldn't leave like you, didn't, like you didn't contribute to something. Everybody would have somebody to minister to. Everybody. Everybody. We would all be progressing around the table. And you know what that produces? That produces empty chairs for those in that room to come in here and reproduce and keep going and keep going and keep going. Imagine what it would look like. Pastor Ralph mentioned the Easter numbers. We had 2,300 people across our campuses on Easter Sunday. Imagine what it would look like if 2,300 people knew exactly where they're sitting at the table and exactly what they needed to do to go to the next stage. If you're in the unchurched stage, can I just encourage you? Keep coming. Keep coming. Don't quit. Don't let the broken alarm clock be the reason why you excuse yourself out of showing up. Don't quit. If you don't have a ride, find a ride. Call somebody. Get here. Commit to coming regularly. That's it. <laughs> because God does the work after that. Little children, once you're here, once you're here and you find yourself, man, I'm in the little children's stage. I've been coming to church and, 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 and I'm not figuring it all out, but I'm also not contributing at all. Can I just ask you, little children, would you do something? Would you find a place where your purpose can attach to your efforts. Can you, can you, can you sign up and be like, you know what, I, I, I really don't understand it, but I'll stand at the doors and I'll smile. Young men, if you're in the young men's stage, can I challenge you that you would walk into a room and your eyes would be glancing, looking, searching for somebody that carries the qualities and attributes that you desire to have in your years to come that you would find an Eli, should I say. Because you have all the wisdom. Actually, young men are more like this. Young men have gasoline tanks of fuel all around them, but they have no car to drive. They're ready to go. They're fired up. They're like, let's go change the world. How? <laughs> With who? <laughs> Fathers. If you're sitting in the father chair, maybe you were at one season, and maybe you're finding yourself, you're just like, I have nothing to offer the church anymore. Yes, you do, yes, you do, yes, you do, yes, you do, yes, you do. If you're a father, you've been coming out for years, maybe it's not even based on time, but you just know that you're in that place where, where, where you're, you're unsatisfied with the coffee in the same seat, and you're at that stage where you're like, I just, I don't know what to do. Fathers, can I make it, can I challenge you to, that you would make it your mission that when you come to church, your eyes are, are gleaning and looking and searching and finding, man, who can I pour into? 
Who can, I, who can I just offer some advice to? Who can I come alongside with and say, this is how you fix your sink at your house? Right. It's simple, but you know what? There's things that my dad taught me that I absolutely love. There's a lot of things he didn't teach me. And it took other men coming into my life to be like, this is how you fix that. This is how you do that. You may not be a father, but you can certainly offer the teachings of a father. Mentorship, discipleship. This is the church, guys. <laughs> and it's the most beautiful disaster. <laughs> but I wouldn't have it any other way. Like God's purposed us for great things, but we have to do them together. And every chair at the table relies on the next chair above them. It's such an amazing thing. Our takeaway today is this. The table is fixed. The seats are fixed, but intentionality determines your seat. And someone... Someone is waiting on you to move to the next chair. You don't know them right now. They may, not, you know, they may not even be in this church right now. But you know what? If you take the intentionality of being like, I can't stay here anymore. I've got to do something more and move around that table. I guarantee you God will put people in your sphere to meet you at that seat and will show you this is what this person needs. I guarantee you. And church, if we are going to be the church that comes alongside, we are not silo riders on this ship. We always find somebody. I'm either finding somebody to help me up or I'm pulling somebody that's below me. It is the greatest opportunity we have. Now you may be here today, there's the music. I know you're like, there's the music. Truth, though. I think music has a way of speaking to us that words can't just, words can't. But if you're here today and you're coming to church and you're like, I'm kind of, I'm kind of done with the, the routine. If we make church a routine, it's going to become recreational for us. It's just going to be a recreation. But if you're here, and you're like, God, I, I know that you've called me to more. I know that, that more is waiting for me. I just don't know how to get there. May today be the day that, that we're like Samuel and just say, here I am. I'm listening. I don't know what it looks like, but I know I'm caught between God's voice and the voice that I used to lean on. And my prayer today is that if you don't know what that voice sounds like, man, this is the great place to start. Come in here, show up weekly. And if you're ever wondering if God is moving, just look around the room when people are trying to break their discouragement. You'll see it, you'll see it, you'll see it, you'll see it, you'll see it. He's moving. It's not that he's naive to your situation, it's just he's waiting on your participation. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I wanna offer you one right now. It says in the Bible that you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that God sent his son to die on the cross and be resurrected again, that you can be saved. It starts there, and then you go from the unchurched to the little children chair. You can, you can make a step today and do that. And for every person in this room, out of respect for them, with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you guys say this with me? Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you. You chose me. You called me. You're still calling me. I ask you, God, in my spiritual growth, 
show me who you are. I'm asking you to be Lord of my life, my savior, my friend. I thank you that my past is past and I could begin a brand new life with you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. With heads down and eyes closed still, if you said that prayer for the first time and you boldly wanna make that shift, would you just raise your hand and say, yeah, I said that prayer for the first time today. I'm ready to go around the table, thank you. Is there anyone else? Our God is so good. Isn't our God good? Come on, come on, church.